Hello, I am Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Gun's Reboot Review, a podcast devoted to DC Comics' Legion of Superheroes. Reboot Review focuses specifically on stories of the Legion published between 1994 and 2004, a time when the team's long history was rolled back and rebooted from scratch. Think Marvel's Ultimates line or the alternate continuity from any film or TV show starring a Marvel or DC hero. Not so complicated, right? Each episode of Reboot Review will look at two single-issue comic books as the Adventures of the Legion ran through two ongoing titles, weaving through monthly issues of Legion of Superheroes and Legionnaires. I'll be recapping the stories from each issue, adding a bit of commentary along the way, either putting things in context Legion history-wise or just saying what I think about the art. I'm hoping to get you out of here before a half hour goes by. So with that, let's dig into Legion of Superheroes number 64 and Legionnaires number 21, both from January 1995. Legion of Superheroes number 64 is by the writing team of Mark Wade and Tom McCraw, who also colored the issue. The art team of pencilers Lee Motor and Yancey Labatt and inker Ron Boyd. It was lettered by Bob Panaha and edited by Mike McAvenny and Casey Carlson, who also edited the next issue. I'll be talking about Legionnaires number 21. Covers credited to Motor and Boyd on Comic Book DB, but I insist that this is by Stuart Immonen. Can anyone back me up on this? Great cover introducing, well, reintroducing, I guess, a major character into the Legion mythos. Ultra Boy was a longtime Legionnaire and one of my favorites. Native of the planet Rimbor, Ultra Boy, or Joe Na, his given name, had, or has, I should say, one of the best gimmicks in comics. He's got pretty much all the powers of Superman strength, flight, vulnerability, vision powers, but he can only use one at a time. I began to love Ultra Boy based on this strange power set, and probably just like any other youngster discovering a favorite character on on the character's look. His chest emblem, front and center on this cover, albeit overexposed by lightning, always stood out to me. I could never figure out what it was supposed to be. Superman's S was easy. Batman had his bat. Wonder Woman had an eagle. Sometimes it was two W's. Booster Gold sported a star, well, because he is a star, but Ultra Boy's emblem was tougher to pin down. could have been a bird or beast of some kind. To to younger me, it looked Native American or Aztec or something. It wasn't until much later that we learned out it was a gang emblem. Jonah, in his youth, was a member of the Emerald Dragons on his home world. Which, in a way, is a little incongruous with the way he'd been portrayed for the first 25 years or so of his existence. Ultra Boy was one of 10 to 15 clean-cut Legion brunettes throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, And it wasn't until the 1989 Legion series, which began with a five-year jump into the Legion's future, that Jonah's more well-rounded character was developed. Five years later, he was a bootlegger, a smuggler. Joe was portrayed kind of like a 30th century combination of Jay Gatsby and Han Solo, and his gang connections were explored in depth for the first time. I think I mentioned in a previous episode how seeing the Jonah Loose Leaf Who's Who page from 1990-1991, seeing 
how much the character had been allowed to grow really got me excited about the Legion for the very first time. It was this rough-around-the-edges characterization, a touch of the rogue, which provided a template for Ultra Boy in the Legion's rebooted continuity. And it's Ultra Boy you meet on the first page of Legion of Superheroes number 64. Leather jacket and chains over the old-school Ultra Boy costume as he walks into a seedy-looking bar. Ordering a silver ale, the adult beverage of choice in the 30th century, Joe immediately attracts attention of a couple of toughs who learn the hard way, you don't mess with the boy with the ultra powers. He pays for the bartender's trouble and asks the way to Legion Plaza, which we cut to as the team ogles its new member Spark. Remember the cliffhanger of the last issue was President of the United Planets saying Livewire was out and his twin sister Spark was in. Isla gives a brief recap of her origin and the team seems very welcoming, except that is her twin brother Livewire. His fate with the Legion lies in the balance as the United Planets mandate that all member worlds, the United Planets is the future United Nations, each planet must nominate one resident for Legion membership, and this has caused a bit of confusion. Fear is that the arrival of Isla as a twin as a twin's homeworld winneth, its official Legion rep, would mean the, the big boot for Garth, a, a Legion founding member. Another Legion founder and bankroller, R.J. Brand, shows up uh, a bit long in the face. He's, he's been pushing for Garth's inclusion, but the United Planets plans on sticking to the rules and accepting Winneth's official representative. That means Garth's out. This naturally causes Garth to resent his twin, but Cosmic Boy, ever the optimist, refuses to take no for an answer. He makes a visit along with Saturn Girl and Livewire to the office of United Planets President Chu, who claims her hands are tied on the matter. When Cosmic Boy and Saturn Girl threaten to walk out on the team if Garth is expelled, President Chu brings up a hollow monitor with an official APB with Garth's face on it. He's a listed runaway and, as a minor, is basically a fugitive from his parents and his home world. This shocks Rock, Cosmic Boy, and Daimra, Saturn Girl. And frankly, I'm shocked that they're shocked. Up to this point, I took it for granted that they were completely aware of Garth's situation. To further complicate matters, the reason for Garth's runaway status, the search for his missing older brother Mekt, caused the Legion further embarrassment as Mekt is also a fugitive and is apparently wanted for questioning all over the galaxy. The president makes her feelings plain that Isla would better represent the Legion, but she leaves it in Cosmic Boy's hands. One of the Winathians will have to go. Back at Legion HQ, we get a Brainiac 5 sighting, which is cause for joy as he's my favorite, and a nice interaction with the Invisible Kid. These two will have a, an entertaining rivalry throughout this run, and inevitable as they're the two big brains of the operation. Visible Kid interrupts some project Brainiac's working on and gets clocked in the head by a floating chunk of metal. Some cast-off material from one of Brainiac's experiments. Brainiac tells Invisible Kid to ignore it, but Lyle's eyes glimmer with possibility. What follows next is an example of the unfortunate art woes that Troubled the early issues of this title. Now I'm thinking it couldn't be anything other than Deadline Trouble by penciler Lee Motor, but on page 12, Yancey Labat takes over, and the art for the next 10 pages suffers as a result. 
actually limits my enjoyment of the issue. Now, I've always fondly remembered Lee Motor's art as amongst my favorite Legion depictions, and thinking his pencil's reputation has maybe been inflated a bit, just in contrast to the artists he'd been paired with, uh, who were maybe a year or two behind him in their development. Now, back to the story, we see various scenes in Legion headquarters through Ultra Boy's eyes. He's eavesdropping with his X-ray vision. He calls it penetravision. He's eavesdropping on the Brainiac Invisible Kid Exchange, an argument between Apparition and her mother over her role in the Legion. He sees an interlac lesson for Chameleon led by Leviathan and a workout session by Triad. But he keeps coming back to Apparition and wonders to himself whether he could make her feel better. Whether this is genuine concern or pure lust, we don't know at this point, as his thoughts are interrupted by... Saturn Girl, who's telepathically picked up on the intruding Ultra Boy. Saturn Girl confronts Joe, but their standoff is interrupted by the lightning of Spark, who seems a little too eager at this point to, as the new girl, eager to make her mark. At super speed, Ultra Boy grabs her arms, and this is witnessed by Live Wire. You know, he sees this violence towards his sister, and Garth flips out. He gives Joe a big dose of juice. It's this scene, I'm guessing, that's drawn so well on the cover by Stuart Immonen. Against Cosmic Boy's warning, Livewire continues to tear into Ultra Boy, who gives it right back, tossing an amazingly available boulder laying around, and uh, firing back with his heat vision. This little tete-a-tete is shaking up the headquarters, which alerts the remaining Legionnaires, and by the time they make it outside, the battle has wrecked the whole neighborhood. This realization, along with the interference of Leviathan, who grows to great size and grabs Garth like a Ken doll, puts an end to the battle. An angry cosmic boy berates Livewire for losing his cool and lets Ultra Boy off the hook as, correctly reported by Saturn Girl, he didn't start it, but was only reacting to the attacks by, the, by both Ranzes. Realizing the tough spot he's put his friend Cosmic Boy in, and you know, Cosmic Boy has to choose which Rand sibling stays, Garth decides to take matters into his own hands, and shamefully, head hung low, he quits the team. On the next page, thankfully drawn by Motor once again, Ultra Boy catches up to Livewire and compliments Garth on his moves. Joe also lets slip that Garth reminds him of the other lightning guy whom Garth takes to be his missing brother Met. Joe says he hadn't actually met the guy, but he'd take him to someone who had. And this kind of leaves in question what Ultra Boy's actual purpose for eavesdropping on Legion HQ was. Was he just being a perv, or was he actively recruiting? Because on the last page, the looking in on this exchange by remote cameras, Leland McCauley, the rich rival to R.J. Brand, who we met last episode. His face creased by a smarmy smile. And he's backed up by, by a crew, some of whom may or may not look familiar to longtime Legion fans. We'll be talking about them shortly. So what I like about this issue is the continuing political undercurrent that makes things difficult for the Legion. At this point, they can't even pick their own members. Yet it's a testament to those members and Cosmic Boy's leadership that they gel as well as they do. 
you know, I have problems with the art, and it's not a knock on Yancey Labat, as at this time he was an ex inexperienced artist, but as I've said before, seeing two credited pencilers for a single regular size issue usually isn't a good sign, unless there's some good reason, like the book is an anthology, or you're different in distinct chapters. Things would eventually stabilize, and Lee Motor would become more of a regular presence as time went on, but some of these early issues are, are rough going art-wise. In contrast, the companion title, Legionnaires, was joined by the rock-steady team of Jeff Moy and W.C. Karani, who I don't remember missing an issue, at least Moy, I mean, for, for years, maybe five years. Anyway, the issue at hand, number 21, picks right up where Legion of Superheroes number 64 left off. And it's written by Tom Pyre, lettered by Pat Brousseau, and colored by Tom McCraw. The issue opens on a remote asteroid where a group of thieves has broken into a science police weapons storage facility. Science police is the United Planet's peacekeeping force functioning in that body's police, but also, depending on its needs, sometimes it comes across as their army. The thieves are surprised by a lightning bolt, but wrongly assume they've been found out by the Legion. They turn to be faced by another group of colorfully costumed youths, Leland Macaulay's Workforce. There are a couple of familiar faces in this crowd, including Live Wire, right at the forefront, and Ultra Boy. A little floating screen behind the group has a live video feed of Macaulay's face as he directs the team remotely. Macaulay yells at Livewire for using his lightning so close to the weapons and orders the team not to make a move without his say-so. Livewire questions the wisdom of this plan to himself as Macaulay begins to move his pieces, sending Spider-Girl into action. A loose cannon on the team, Inferno, takes it upon herself, yes, old-timers, I said herself, to flash-fry one of the robbers, which shocks Livewire, though Macaulay doesn't seem to mind this brutal act. Ultra Boy steps in, but is taken out from behind by a sonic rifle, and Livewire screams at the floating Macaulay screen that they're going to lose this fight if they don't work as a team. Macaulay rejects this advice and sends in a small, pale, big-headed, ugly dude called Evolvo, whose power is to devolve into a brutish, early man-ape thing who, once attacked by the sonic rifle, it proceeds to turn on his own teammate, Karate Kid. Now, Macaulay's workforce is made up of mostly characters who'd been featured more or less prominently throughout Legion history. Ultra Boy and Karate Kid were longtime Legionnaires in a previous lifetime. Spider-Girl was a villain, at one point joining the ad hoc Legion of Supervillains. At another point, she reformed and actually joined the Legion. Evolvo was seldom seen. Um, he was a member of uh, the Heroes of Lalor, another future super team the Legion would occasionally run into. Only Inferno was a new character, though. She was included in part, I assume, to remind readers of longtime Legionnaire Sunboy, who had a similar outfit and power set. Toward the end of the previous continuity, a teenage time duplicate of the adult Sunboy operated under the name Inferno. Back to the story, the lack of teamwork on the part of Workforce allows the weapons thieves to get away, and Livewire questions whether he made the right choice joining this team. At Legion HQ, Brainiac 5 briefs the team on their next mission, 
Invisible Kid escalates their little rivalry, asking Brainiac 5 rhetorically about his name, why he decided to name himself after one of the great villains of history. Triad gangs up, chimes in with, I guess Darkseid 2 was taken. Esteemed Brainiac continues the brief. The United Planets has recently taken control of a formerly private, inescapable prison named Planet Hell. The only way in or out was an electromagnetic tunnel designed by the super geniuses of Brainiac's planet Kolu. The tunnel has malfunctioned and Brainiac has been given the task of repairing it. The Legion is to accompany him to check on the well-being of the staff. Communications have been increasingly spotty there. Catch is, Planet Hell, aptly named, is in the middle of the sun. A makeshift magnetic tunnel gets a Legion cruiser inside the sun, and the team lands on Planet Hell. They're greeted by a frantic, disturbed individual who they're shocked to discover is the prison's warden. They're all wearing sunglasses, by the way, due to the intense brightness of the sun's interior. Jeff Moy and colorist Tom McCraw do a a good job of relating the extreme conditions, the brightness, heat, and discomfort experienced by the Legionnaires on Planet Hell. Members are constantly shown sweating, tugging at their collars, and the color palette is brighter, giving the panels the look of being overexposed. All really nice touches. Without help from the rambling warden, the team splits in two, Cosmic Boy, Brainiac 5, equipped with a prison schematic. Spark, Apparition, and Chameleon seek out the planet Power Grid, where Brainiac will commence repairs. The remaining members stick with the Warden and begin assessing the conditions. During a walk through the cell block, the Warden reveals he's been guarding the prisoners alone for some time. All the guards tried to escape and were burned up in the sun. Cosmic Boy's team finds a shaft leading to the Power Grid and reports into Saturn Girl and her team in the cell block that it shouldn't take Brainiac too long now. Just then, a ship appears in the sky. The sky. In the... Sends a fiery blast down the sh shaft where Kaz and the others are. Saturn Girl and her team try to react, but an explosion from the shaft leaves the fate of half the team uncertain. The manic warden, a creepy grin on his face, says that that's the least of their problems. If that blast had cut power to security, the 10,000 cell doors are about to open in 10 seconds. A really effective last page cliffhanger has Invisible Kid, Excess, and Triad looking up at floor after floor of cell doors as the warden counts down 9 seconds, 8, 7, to be continued in the next issue of Legion of Superheroes and, of course, the next reboot review. Really great cliffhanger there. I want to thank John D. Knoll for the Twitter favorite. It looks like he had a great time at the Cincinnati Comic Expo. You can check out a ton of great pictures he took there on Twitter. Search for at John D. Knoll, N-O-L-E. I want to give a shout-out to another podcast devoted to the Legion that I just discovered. Eric and the Legion can be found at ericandthelegion.podbean.com or on iTunes. 
They're like 60 or so episodes in, and he's looking at every Legion appearance chronologically, beginning with their very first back in 1958. I coincidentally caught his latest episode, which covers the story from Adventure Comics number 344, The Super Stalag of Space, which features the Legion and another memorable prison in their history. I reached out to Eric to comment that the Legion, more than any other super team, it seems, runs into trouble with interesting institutions of incarceration. There's the Super Stalag, Planet Hell, which I'm talking about this episode and next, and the most prominent prison in Legion mythology, Tacron Galtos, which suffered a breakout or two over the years. Anyway, check out Eric and the Legion for some great Legion of Superheroes coverage. While I'm at it, might as well throw some love toward another favorite podcast, the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, who've been at it for years. The guys there have bounced all over Legion history, though right now Paul and Darren are elbows deep in the Baxter run, talking about Legion stories from the mid to late 80s. Always a good listen there. Trying to carve out my little piece of Legion love right here, so let me know what you think about the reboot years, the early years, late years, anything Legion related, I'm game. Leave a comment on the blog, I'm thegun.blogspot.com. There you'll find some choice panels and pages from whatever issue is at hand. There's a link on that page to Twitter and Tumblr. You can email me at imthegun at gmail.com. Check out earlier episodes on the blog or on iTunes. Search there for I'm the Gun, Reboot Review, or Shanna Showcase, my other thread of episodes looking at Marvel's Shanna the She-Devil. All right, that's it for this episode. So until next time, LOL, live on Legion. (laughs) 